We're going to look at John chapter 8 as we have been looking for several weeks. We'll be finishing up within a week or so. John chapter 8. It's a challenging text, but a great, great text. We've been talking about communication, haven't we? Obviously, in, Gen- in, in Genesis. In John chapter 8, Jesus has been trying to communicate with a number of subsets of persons. Jewish leaders with... Uh, Persons who had come to the Feast of Tabernacles who were in Jerusalem, uh, sojourners, pilgrims, a number of persons as well as his true disciples. We've been talking about communication. We've been talking about how difficult sometimes it is to communicate. One woman was talking at a party uh, with someone about their marriage was so strong because they did not need marriage counseling. And she said, I'll tell you why said, because he majored in communications and I majored in theater. He communicates real well and I act like I am listening. (laughs) Ooh, well, we're going to see some people today who acted like they were listening. Oh, another good story. There was a preacher who came into town. I mean, he was at the church. He hired a new secretary. Uh, Excuse me, these days it's administrative assistant. So he hired a new administrative assistant. And he thought, well, I'm going to test and see how good this person really is. So he goes into his new AA and says, now listen, here's a list of people that have not given a dime to the church in six months. And I want you to do something to stir them up, to get them to give again. Next week, he got a letter. And in it was contained a huge check from a donor, from a person who had not been giving but had made up for it, obviously. Just a large gift to the church. Said, Dear Pastor, I'm so sorry that I haven't given in a long time. I hope this will make up for everything that I haven't done and maybe even a little bit more. I'm, I'm just so sorry that I, I let things go by and I did not contribute to the church. But please tell your new secretary, there's only one R in dirty and there's no C in skunk. <laughs> well, she did, may not have gotten her spelling correct, but she got the message across and got results, right? Well... Today we're going to see a story about some dirty skunks. And we're going to see a story about some people who acted like they were listening, but they really weren't. So look with me to John chapter 8 as we see Jesus communicating well, but some still not getting it. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 47. If you have a Bible, there's some of the pews have them, but if you have a Bible or a smartphone with which you can find uh, the uh, text, please follow along, along. And it says in verse 30, well, let me back up to 30. And, and I know it's not on the screen, but it references something we're going to talk about in a moment. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Remember that from last week. Now verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. By the way, that's going to be our memory verse for this week. You will know the truth, 
And the truth will set you free. We're going to come back to that. We are the descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. Therefore, if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me because my word is not welcome among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father, and therefore you do what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. Hmm. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did, but now you're trying to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. Now who do you think he was saying their father was? The evil one. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I came from God and I am here. But for I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there was no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. My friends, I cannot tell you of a more poignant passage. One in which the lines were being drawn so powerfully between Jesus and the religious leaders who opposed him. We read in this passage this morning a a broken heart, Jesus, as he tries diligently to get his message across. But they're not listening. They're not hearing They're on a different page of music. They they are totally out of sync with him. And I have to wonder sometimes if we are also. I wonder if we have gotten to the point we don't listen real well either. I wonder if we are like these religious leaders. He's saying one thing and we're hearing something totally different. First of all, we see a grand proclamation. Look look with me at verse 31 and 32. A grand proclamation, verses 31 and 32, are some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture. And yes, I encourage you to memorize particularly verse 32. But he is talking here about what it really means to be a disciple. He's talking about what it really means to be a follower of Christ. Now, I can't tell you how often people will say to me, Pastor, do you think so-and-so is a Christian? Oh my goodness, 
How many times have people asked me, you've met with Trump several times, haven't you? You think he's a Christian? You've met with President Bush. Have you, you think he's a Christian? People are always asking me these questions. And we also ask it about other people. You think he's a Christian? Well, the way he's acting? We're, we always want to know if someone else is a Christian. Well, let me just tell you real quickly something. First of all, I can't judge anybody. I'm not in a position to judge anybody. Second of all, I don't have the moral authority to do it anyway. Even if I had the position, I don't have the authority. I don't judge any person's soul. But I do know what the Scripture says. And the Scripture says the mark of discipleship is following Him on an ongoing basis. Instead of just making one statement one time, I was baptized or I gave my life to Christ, the mark of being a true Christ follower is continuing in His Word. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. Does that mean you'll never sin? No, it's not what it means. But there's an ongoing relationship. There's an ongoing desire to continue in the word. So he's talking about a kind of a long-term Christianity here. He's talking about a practice and a habit of saying, I am a follower not just once in my life, but on an ongoing basis. So we see this grand proclamation. And I will tell you this. Now look at this up on the screen. Life leads to learning, and learning leads to liberty. Life leads to learning. So as we follow Christ, we stay with him. We learn from him. And that learning from him and becoming more like him does what? It leads to being set free. It leads to liberty. It really does. Do you sense the awesome personal liberation that Jesus is referring to here? That he offers you and he offers me? To the Jews, he was offering freedom from superstition and mainly legalism but to us, he offers the same, but also freedom from sin and freedom from the bondage of self-reliance. Jesus makes this grand proclamation. You want to know who a follower of Christ is? If you stay with me, that's who you are. If you continue in my word, you are my disciple. You are my follower. You're not always going to do it right, but you're going to stay with me. You're not going to become what some call a fair-weather follower. You, you're only with Jesus when things are going good, but when things go bad, you're somewhere else. That's a fair-weather follower. I'll follow when the wind is good and when the weather is right, but when things happen bad in my life, I'm gone. How many of us today can say, I'm going to stand with him through the good and the bad? I am a Christ follower. I am going to continue in his word. And when that happens, he sets us free. I may have used this illustration before. Scott Wesley Brown, I think, was a contemporary singer back in the maybe 80s or whatever, 70s, 80s. I don't know. You know, Derek, you know that name. He was visiting friends in uh, East Germany. Dale and I got to go in the mid-80s, I guess it was, 
I can't remember exactly. But it's before 1989 and before the wall came down, before the Berlin Wall came down, before the wall between East and West Germany. And Ellen and I got to go up to the wall and, and see it, uh, this foreboding wall that separated East and West Germany and the East German guards up there with their machine guns looking menacingly down upon us and we're waving at them, you know. But that wall separated people and particularly in Berlin. And I was trying to explain it to Dale. And after WW2, Berlin was set into four parts of the four major a- uh, allied powers. And, and even though East and West Germany were the same, even Berlin, which was in East Germany, was separated between a free side and a communist side. And they built the wall in Berlin. And it was a horrific thing, an awful thing. And there was one place called Checkpoint Charlie where you could go through and Visit if you had the right paper and the right permission, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this singer went to visit some friends in East Berlin. Had a wonderful time of fellowship. They were fellow Christians, and they fellowshiped together for the day, and it was just a wonderful time. And as he got ready to come back, Brown said, I feel real bad. You know, I'm going back where there's freedom, and I have to leave you here. And these godly East Berliners said, are you really free over there? You know, freedom comes in Christ, and you can be free in Christ before on either side of the wall. But are you really free over there? He said, I pondered that over and over and over. Bondage comes in many ways, and it doesn't just have to do with the fact that you're under a communist dictatorship. It comes from being a slave to sin. Jesus said, I want to set you free. Hang on to that. We're going to come back to that. Second, we see the great denial. The great denial is in verse 33. Now, it's not likely that the pronoun they that's used there in verse 33 is referring back to verse 30 that I did read right before this passage that we saw where many did believe in him. I don't think he's referring to those that they group because that they group would not have argued with him if they really believed in him, and they certainly would not have been trying to kill him him. And if John 8.37 is any guide, look back to that one, we will see that he is referring back to the same group of Jewish leaders that had dogged him, that had continued to refute him, that were seeking to take his life. That's really what was happening here. They opposed him and everything that he stood for. Jesus had been speaking about true spiritual freedom. They had been talking about political freedom. And so they gave this retort back in verse 33, a real denial. They say, listen, we're descendants of Abraham. And if they did that, they probably did this. They put their hands up, you know, puffed their chest out a little bit. We're descendants of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anybody. So how could you tell us we need to be free? Well... Fact check, the northern kingdom had fallen to the enslavement of the Assyrians in 722 B.C. The southern kingdom, Judah, had fallen 
in enslavement to the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And now for over a hundred years they've been under the enslavement and the domination of Rome. And so here these proud religious people saying, we've never been enslaved to anybody. Well, yes, you have. But before we cast aspersions upon these Jewish religious leaders for their dullness, how many times have we not told the truth about our own bondages? How many times have we failed to be open and honest before the Lord? Yeah, they were proud religious people who would not admit their failings, and I'm afraid we are the same. Third, we see the Lord's language lesson. This is really uh, verses 34 through 37, the Lord's language lesson. Jesus explained the difference between freedom and bondage is the difference between being a servant or a slave, doulos is the word, and to be a son or a daughter, a part of the family. There's a difference. One is guaranteed a livelihood, but one is guaranteed a future. The servant is never guaranteed a future, has no permanent place in the house. And he's trying to say, don't you understand, I'm talking about a relationship here where you are part of the family. But you, speaking to the Jewish religious leaders, are not a part of the family. In fact, you have a different father than I do. You come from a totally different planet than I do. How can slaves be set free? He keeps pointing out only by the Son and the power of His Word. And He says it in verse 37. The reason you're trying to kill me is my Word is not welcome among you. If you were a son, if you were in the family, you would not be trying to do what you're doing. But they keep going back to their parentage from Abraham. We are the sons of Abraham. Well, he says, if you were like Abraham, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing now. In fact, if you'll remember the scripture, Abraham was called a what? A friend of God. He was always looking for ways to follow the will of God. He said, you're not from Abraham. You may be physically from Abraham, but you're not spiritually from Abraham. You're trying to kill me, and he, Abraham, Listen to the truth and would never have done what you are doing. And it's interesting here because he starts talking about nature. And he talks about parentage. You see, nature is determined by birth and birth is determined by paternity. So he's talking about where their nature comes from. You see, if we are of God, we're going to share God's nature. Because he is the father. And so it's so important to ask the question, where do I belong? Well, those to whom Jesus spoke did not belong to the Father. Their nature was different. You see, they could not understand what Jesus taught because of a serious language problem. Serious language problem. And in verses 42 through 47, we see some of the most powerful words ever used as Jesus tries to get through to them. He speaks of a person's inability to understand because of their parentage, their nature. If God were your father, verse 42, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. I came from God. I am here for 
I didn't come on my own. He sent me. Why don't you understand what I'm saying? Don't you sense the broken heart of Jesus here? As he is trying to get through to this recalcitrant crowd, to this difficult crowd, he is struggling to connect with them, and they will not listen. It is, any wonder, is it any wonder, my friends, how you often struggle to deal with a family member who's not a part of the family of God and they don't understand you? They don't understand the way you feel. They don't understand the way you talk. They don't understand why you do what you do. They think you're crazy for even being here in this church house this morning. What is wrong with you? Is it any wonder that we often struggle why, do they, why can't they understand? Well, they can't understand because they're not a part of the family. They're not a part of the family. One person said it's not just a language problem, it's a real estate problem. What do you mean by that? They live on a different planet than you do. They don't understand and they cannot understand because they are of a different parentage, of a different neighbor, uh, a different nature. So don't be surprised. In spite of all of this, our Lord's heart's still broken. Listen, our Lord Jesus cared for the lost. And we ought to as well. Our heart ought to be breaking just like Jesus' heart was broken. He tells them in no uncertain terms, don't you understand Satan is a liar and a murderer? He lied to our first parents and he's lying to you. And you're listening is it any wonder these religious leaders lied about Jesus? Well, their father was the evil one. See, the worst bondage, the worst bondage is the kind that the prisoner himself does not recognize. And they didn't see it. Pharisees and other religious leaders thought that they were free because of their parentage through Abraham. But the fact is, Jesus tells them the truth. The only way you're ever going to be free is through me. That's it. It's the only way you'll ever be truly free. So yes, there was a language barrier, real estate barrier, whatever you want to call it. But look back to verse 37 quickly with me. I know you're a descendant of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me. Why? Because my word is not welcome. My word is not welcome among you. My friends, I get so burdened for our culture in the 21st century. There's no room for the word of Christ. No, no room. Uh, they have effectively, legally, and every other way shut out the word of Christ. And we can lament that and do what we can to change it and should lament and change. But my friends, let's talk personally this morning. Is there room for the word of Christ in your heart today? In what part of your life? Do we open every part of our heart to the word? He says, my word is not welcome. Well, if we welcome the word of Christ into our life, things change. We can have freedom from religion and move into a relationship. I get so tired of people in every denomination, including our own, 
who are committed to a religion and not a relationship. It's all the difference of heaven and hell. It's all the difference of life and death. Freedom from religion. And giving your life to a relationship with Christ. It's all about freedom from a stronghold. Falling in love with a Savior. Strongholds, those areas of our lives that drag us down. Manifest perhaps in different ways, in different cultures, in different ages. But nonetheless, a stronghold. What is the stronghold in your life? Are you willing to submit it to the Savior, the Word of the Savior? He said, my word is not welcome among you. Is it welcome in your heart? Can we move away from a destructive life to a living Lord? You see, we need freedom. You'll know my word and my word will set you free. I don't know about you, but, well, I do <laughs> know about you. We all need to be set free. From something. From something. And Jesus promises it today. I know he left this interchange deeply burdened. Knowing that they had once again put up a wall of total unbelief. He could have forced his way into their hearts. He could have snapped a finger and made them believe and made robots out of every one of us. But he wants you and me to choose to put a hand up to say, Father, I accept the hand up. He wants that desperately. Will you continue in his word? Will you seek the freedom that he, only he, offers and enables? Pray with me. Father, we need freedom from religion so that we might have a relationship. We need freedom from strongholds so that we might have a Savior. We need freedom from a life that is destructive to a living Lord who daily forgives, who daily guides, who daily encourages us. Father, we need that desperately. We commit this time to you. We pray that you would speak to our hearts even now drawing us ever closer unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. We're